Go back to the book of Joshua, chapter number 2 this morning. I'm looking today, been over the last several weeks, looking at a Joshua heart. And this morning, in the book of Joshua, chapter number 2, I want to look at a Joshua heart from the perspective of Rahab. The Bible tells us in the book of Joshua chapter 2, and I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to read a few little verses here and there. But I want you to look, if you will, in verse number 1 of chapter number 2. The Bible says in Joshua 2 and 1, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Brothers and sisters, you come to a story that we have heard so many times about Rahab the harlot. You've come into Joshua chapter number 2, and Joshua has been given his orders by God He's told his orders to the people, and the people with one voice say, whatever the Lord says, that will we do. We found that in chapter number 1, that in order to have a Joshua heart, you have to have courage. You cannot be weak. You cannot be frail. You cannot be spineless. You cannot be a jellyfish. You have got to be firm. You've got to be planted, and you've got to know in whom you have believed. And in our day, if we have any more spineless jellyfish standing in pulpits around the church, we are going to keep on getting what we're getting. Too many people stick their finger in the wind and see which way the spiritual winds are blowing. Honey, the further we get and the closer we get to the coming of the Lord Jesus, the contrary winds of doctrine are going to blow to and fro. And boys, if we keep sticking our fingers up in the air, seeing which way the wind blows today, we're going to be like a kite without an anchor blowing every which way. But God is looking for some men and some women that will stand up and say, I do not care which way the wind blows. I am hooked down, anchored down to the rock of ages, and I will not be afraid. Now, we may not have a big crowd like they have in yesteryear go with us, but I am not worried who is with me as long as I know where I am going. So in order to have a Joshua heart, you have to have courage. Then you look at the end of Joshua chapter 1 and you realize in order to have a Joshua heart, you have got to have obedience. It's not just enough for God to tell you what to do. But instead of picking apart the orders, Joshua and the people said, Lord, whatever you tell me, I will do it. And that's what they said. Now, what's so interesting to me about this Joshua heart is after we find out what you've got to have, you've got to have courage, you've got to have obedience, the very first person outside of Joshua that gives us a Joshua heart is a woman. Of all the people that God could have found in the camp of Israel, he chose an outsider who was a woman. Now, you know what that tells me? That tells me that God can use anybody. God is not just interested in men folk having a backbone. He's interested in the women folk having a backbone. And in my humble experience, I promise you this, unfortunately... I have found that in too many of our Baptist churches, 
Some of the most spiritual people in the church are the women in the church. Now, I do not know why that is, but I will not fight it. I will not fuss against it. But I'm just telling you that's the way that it is. Now, unfortunately, you've got to have some men folk that have got some backbone and have got some strength. But if all I got are some women that know God, I'll take what I can get and move on for the glory of God. Because the one person that made the biggest difference in the Apostle Paul's life when Demas forsook him, Lydia financed him. There was a woman in the New Testament. Now, brothers and sisters, we meet a woman named Rahab. And of all the people God could have used, he used a woman. Ladies, hear me now. God can and will use you in the day and the hour that we live in. Now, I understand all this stuff. I got it. You know what I'm saying, though. God can and will use anybody that will give themselves wholly and solely to... Y'all looking mighty nervous in the house of God. I'm telling you, God can and will use anybody. He'll use a college girl in a classroom somewhere that says, I will not turn, I will not be dissuaded, I will stand upon my convictions and stand upon my beliefs. God will use a single woman at the job that says, no, I'm not going to shack up with everything. I'm not going to run around like some little thing all over the place. I've got convictions, I've got standards, and I will stand by the stuff, and I don't care who likes it. He'll use a single lady. He'll use a married lady. He'll use a young mother that says, I don't care what everybody else does down the street. My family and my children are going to operate and live a certain way. He'll use a middle-aged woman that says, you know what? My children have reached a point where they're kindly moving in that direction on their own, but I still know I can have influence in their heart even though I cannot make decisions anymore in their life. What can a middle-aged woman do? A middle-aged woman can get on her knees before a holy God and turn the world on its axis when she learns how to pray. Do you know what a widowed woman, an older woman can do? You may not be able to serve in the nursery. You may not be able to go out on the mission field. You may not be able to work a job somewhere. You may be living on social security. But God can use a widow woman. You do understand the only person in the New Testament, the deacons and the church were commanded to take care of were widowed women. Do you know why? Because the apostle Paul knew that there was something powerful about a woman that had been through the winds of life and knew the things of God. And in that last days, he said, I want you to take care of that segment of the population of the church because they don't need to be worrying about where their next meal is going to be coming from. They need to be hunkered down in a room somewhere on their knees talking to the God of heaven. Here's what I'm telling you. Just as God had to put a protective shield around that woman, the devil will fight what he fears the most. And I'm telling you, an old sainted gray-haired woman that knows the things of God on her knees somewhere can shake hell at its core and open up heaven at its blessedness. Now, here's what you've got to understand. God can use anybody. And he uses this woman named Rahab. Let me give you the 30-second background and set the stage for you. All of a sudden, the people of God are on this side 
side of the river Jordan. They've not crossed over yet. And so Joshua says to two men, he sends in two men. He says, go over, spy out the entire land, but make sure you go to the first city that will come, the city of Jericho. So they go to the city of Jericho. They go inside of the gate of Jericho, and the king of Jericho finds out that there are spies in the land. And so they have to seek refuge, and they they go hide somewhere, and they hide in the house of a woman whose name is Rahab the harlot. This woman is a prostitute by trade. She's a woman that has probably some sort of boarding house for illicit lifestyles and all types of wickedness at some point, and they go in. Now, a lot of people will say, why did those two men go into that house? I do not think they went into that house because she was still a prostitute. Honey, I think she'd heard about the Lord God of the Israelites and said, I want to go with him. And she had turned her entire life around and said, you must be the servants of the Most High God. There's something in my heart that bears witness with what you've got in your heart. Come into my house and I will keep you safe. Now, this woman lodges these two men in her house while everybody is looking. Now, here is what I was looking at about that woman named Rahab. Isn't it interesting that God uses a woman? God does not go and find a preacher man. God goes and finds a woman. God doesn't go and find a King David somewhere. God goes and finds a woman. God doesn't go and find him another Moses. God goes and finds him. I'm trying to tell you something this morning, but you ain't picking up what I'm putting down. God goes and finds a woman to give the greatest example of a Joshua heart. What does Rahab teach us about a Joshua heart? I'll give you three things. Number one, the first thing that that God teaches through Rahab about having a Joshua heart is God will use someone with a past. He says in chapter 2, verse number 1, they go into the house of Rahab the harlot. Can I just be as proper in the house of God as I possibly can? You and I both know in that day about the most wicked lifestyle you could have was to be a prostitute in that land. Everybody knew what she was like. Everybody knew about her. Everybody knew how wicked she was. Everybody knew how vile she was. Everybody knew where she'd been. Everybody knew everything about her. Isn't it interesting that whenever the king of Jericho started looking for the two spies, he went right to her house. Do you know why? Because he knew of all the places that men would go, it would be to the house of Rahab the harlot. Now, here is what's so interesting about Rahab the harlot. You flip over into the book of Matthew, chapter number 1, and Matthew is going through the genealogy of the loving Lamb of God, and he's mentioning all these different people, and he starts at Abraham, and he goes to Isaac, and then he goes down to Jacob, and then he goes on down into the line through Judah, and he comes down, and he says, oh yeah, let me throw in this woman, her name is Rahab. Brothers and sisters, what happened between Rahab being a prostitute and Rahab being in the line of the loving Lamb of God, the line of the tribe of Judah, the sweet rose of Sharon, the one that is altogether lovely, the one that is altogether holy. I'm preaching like a Pentecostal preacher right now. The one that is greater and higher and holier and more wonderful than all things. I'll tell you what happened between sin and righteousness. 
righteousness, between wickedness and sanctification. Somewhere along the way, she heard that Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, her provider, would take an old black card, dip it down in red blood, and bring it up as white as snow. And she says, I can't get the guilt off of my heart. I can't get the wickedness off of my heart. I can't get the vileness off of my heart. But, oh God, if you'll take me and use me, I am all yours, even though I may have been that over there. I've heard you can take that over there and make it that over there. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you right now, the only one that remembers your past is you and the devil. God's not interested in your past. The day you give it to the Lord Jesus Christ, it gets tossed into the sea of God's forgetfulness, and he says, I shall not remember it ever again. Can I ask you a question? Why are you letting what you were keep you from what God is trying to make you be? What are you worried about? Somebody's going to find out about it. They already know about it. The problem is you've got to get to the place of having the mind of Christ. When Jesus is looked at by God and God looks at you, he doesn't see you and he doesn't see me. Whenever God the Father looks out of heaven and beholds one of his people, he sees Jesus Christ. How do I know? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be called the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God the Father looks at me, he sees nothing but righteousness and holiness as if I had done everything Jesus did because he looked at Jesus as if Jesus had done everything I'd ever done. And today, through the blood of the loving Lamb of God, he looks at somebody like me and somebody like you that has a past. Is there anybody this morning that won't act Baptist and say, I had a messed up yesterday. Oh my, I had a messed up yesterday. You had a messed up yesterday. Your mama had a messed up yesterday. Your granny had a messed up yesterday. Your Aunt Sally had a messed up yesterday. Your Uncle Jimmy had a messed up yesterday. Somebody that you didn't even think about had a messed up yesterday. But the good glad day that you got found in Jesus Christ, your yesterday became vacant and your tomorrow became sick. God will use anybody, even someone with a past. Number two, we find out from this woman named Rahab, God will use somebody, but they've got to have perception. Watch what it says in verse number 9 and verse number 10. For she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Now get this in your mind. She's looking at these two boys and she says, now fellas, listen, I understand. It's already a done deal. God's going to give the land to you. I know what he did yesterday. What did he do yesterday, Rahab? Honey, I remember. It's been 40 years since God did what she's describing. I heard how your God dried up the Egyptian Red Sea and how he knocked down the two kings of the Amorites. Now now, here is what you got to understand. The devil was liberal before the Democrats. 
I'm going somewhere. Don't jump off the wagon. The devil has been lying about God's truth for a long time. Let me put it in perspective. Red Sea splits. The children of Israel part. What do you think the Egyptian scholars started doing? They started spreading lies about what really happened. Can you imagine all the lies? Well, there was probably a good nor'easter that blew in and it kindly split apart. Or maybe there was some type of invasion that came and those Israelites just marched. And so for 40 years, those had been lied about what really happened that day. And the lies had spread to Jericho. And yet old Rahab said this, No, I'm pretty sure that's not the truth. I've heard that the Lord God of heaven is the one that dried up the red. See, you know what she did? She used her brain. The devil will always try to cloud your mind with falsities because he knows anybody that thinks will arrive at one ending. There is a God in heaven. He puts your youngins in a classroom somewhere. And they start asking questions. Where did I come from? Well, here's where you came from. You see, one day, way back yonder, there was this little Nova over there, and there was this little Nova over there. And these two little Novas one day got a big idea, and they got together, and everything started spinning real fast. And a whole bunch of nothing just started spinning real fast. And that kid starts... That's that's exactly what they think right there. (laughs) That that don't sound, that's not where it ends. You see, all that starts spinning together for millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And then one day, a puddle appeared. And in that puddle, some tadpole eggs popped up. And then these tadpole eggs became frogs. And these frogs one day grew a tail. And that tail got hair on it. And that tail that had hair on it, it got black hair on it. And it became a monkey. And then that monkey started swinging from the trees. And that monkey got so tired of swinging from their trees that it evolved and it got a body. And it lost all that hair on its body. And it became a man. And after 15,000 years, that man started changing forms. And then he became what we are today. You believe that? And those kids sit back and say, that don't make a whole lot of sense. Well, that's what really happened. But in order to have a Joshua heart, all you got to do is think. Rahab looked and said, I'm pretty sure there ain't a wind strong enough to split a sea wide open and dry the ground up like that. 
There's only one way that that sea split open and that wind dried that up. There was a high and holy God in a high and a holy heaven. And that God that was in heaven, he came down. And so if that God's doing that for you, it's a done deal what he's about to do to the walls of this city. Honey, today God is looking for people that go against the fray and all the fish are swimming downstream saying, this is how it all happened. This is how it all happened. God's looking for somebody with a Joshua heart like Rahab that stands up and says, no, I'm pretty sure that's not how that happened. I'm pretty sure one day there was an eternal God, even though I can't explain him, that has wisdom and has grace and has knowledge and has ability. One day in yesteryear of eternity, God decided in his omnipotence, in his omnipresence, in his grace and in his glory, he reached out into the bucket of nothing and he pulled out a handful of nothing and he took in that handful of nothing and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You say that doesn't make sense. I'm pretty sure that makes a whole lot more sense than a tadpole became a monkey and the monkey shed and started shaving with Gillette one day and became a man that's walking on earth. I'm telling you right now a Joshua heart is somebody that has perception. All God wants you to do is think. Do you know why universities and colleges are so afraid of kids thinking? Because all it takes is an open mind to arrive at one place. Listen to me. When your mind is open, I give you my word, your open mind will lead you right back to the creator that gave you the mind that you have in your head. But a Joshua heart's got to be somebody that has a perception. Number three, a Joshua heart is somebody that has a petition. Watch what she says in verse number 12. She says, now therefore I pray you. I'm begging you. Oh God, swear unto me by the Lord. Since I've showed you kindness that you will show kindness unto my father's house. You know what she did? She got on her knees and she begged him, please have mercy. You know what a Joshua heart's going to have to do today? Get on their knees and beg God, have mercy. Brothers and sisters, I've been a Baptist all my life. I was Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I'm dead, I'll be Baptist dead. I've been a Baptist all my life, but I have watched the church become an organization and cease to be an organism. She has become a structure and not something that has life-giving power. Brothers and sisters, programs and organizations don't build churches. Bent knees and praying hearts build churches. People with programs and ideas don't yield heartstrings and pluck heartstrings. Bended knees pluck heartstrings. We've learned how to have programs without supplication. Do you know why we've escaped away from prayer? Because it takes too much agony. It makes us have an attitude we don't like. And it takes a long time to get what we're looking for. We don't like getting on our knees saying, oh, God. And that mother in those birth pains is exactly what it feels like to agonize with God. God, if you don't do this, 
And it's been so long since we've seen a people pray. Now when somebody talks about it, we think they're a fanatic. You're crazy. You're, you're out there. We don't like the attitude that prayer brings about. We want somebody with a high. Prayer makes you go low. We want somebody with degrees, somebody that stands up and says, Dr. So-and-so, listen, I'm not against education. I think you ought to get all the education you can. But, beloved, remember this. When you think that you have got something that impresses a holy God, all you've got is a head full of pride, and a head full of pride will not take you into the presence of God. Whenever you pray, you're bowing on your knees saying, God, I may be something in man's eyes, but when I kneel at the throne room, I am a big old nothing. I have a big old nothing. I'll accomplish a big old nothing. And prayer says, God, I need you. And prayer takes time. We want it fast. We want it now. We want everything at the snap of a finger. We want a big church today. We want big things today. We want so-and-so saved today. We want our family put back together today. We want the preacher to do this and that today. We want the deacons to operate in this and that today. But beloved, I'm just a man and you're just a person. We can't accomplish anything. We're on God's timetable. You know what she said? She said, I don't deserve anything. But I pray you, have mercy on me. That's what a Joshua heart does. Now, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to load them up. I'm going to blow them out. But I may not get past number one because number one's pretty juicy and the other two are not that good. But if I can't get past number one, it's going to be pretty good. Now, yesterday I was up here and Chris was up here and Ray was up here and, and they were talking and I was hunting. I went listening to them. They were talking about something. I still don't know what they were talking about because I had this number one point in my mind. What in the world does Rahab teach us about having a Joshua heart? Let me give you number one. The first thing we learn about having a Joshua heart from the life of Rahab, we learn who is protecting that Joshua heart. Hmm. Can I show you something? Watch what the Bible says. The Bible tells us in verse number 10 and 11, we heard what you did over there. Judgment's coming here. Then she says in verse number 12, Will you give me a true token that you're not going to destroy me? And watch what it says in verse number 17. The men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window. You know what Rahab was? Rahab was a harlot that got saved by the scarlet. Whenever they came into the land, honey, they were marching around those, those city walls. The city walls of Jericho were 14 foot thick. I have stood on top of the walls of Jericho where they fell and in rubbles lay today. I have stood there 14 foot wide are those walls. And on the top were houses built all the way around. Honey, the children of Israel, they were marching around. They didn't say a thing. Six days, they marched around one time. They kept walking around the city 
walls. They didn't shout a praise. They didn't say a prayer. They didn't do anything. But on that seventh day, honey, they got to walking around those walls and they didn't go around them one time. They didn't go around them two times. They didn't go around them three times. They didn't go around it four times. They didn't go around it five times. They didn't go around it six times. Honey, on that seventh time, they got to walking around. Joshua had the Ark of the Covenant and he's walking around. And those priests are holding the Ark of the Covenant and when they got around, Joshua said, shout boys, you ain't got to swing your sword. You don't have to throw your spear because the battle belongs to the God of heaven. And Sunday started shouting and all of a sudden, walls started breaking. All of a sudden, the ground started moving. All of a sudden, they found out that the God that splits the sea is the same God that splits the rock. And all of a sudden, the walls started moving and they started crumbling. Left side started crumbling. Right side started crumbling. Front side started crumbling. Right side started crumbling. And they all fell to the ground except one little piece of real estate. Can you imagine how odd that looked? One sliver of a wall and there's a house up on top of it. And they looked and they said, what makes that house so special? And hanging out the window was a scarlet thread. This piece of line just a running down the wall. Rahab pokes her head out. Her daddy pokes his head out. Her mama and all her cousins poke her head out. And they said, wait a second. That scarlet kept us safe. I got to looking. Do you know how that scarlet thread got made? Can I tell you how that scarlet thread got made? The Bible says that word scarlet. It is a Hebrew word which literally means worm. The way that they would dye that thread crimson is they would take a worm. The scientific name of that worm is called the cocos ileus. That cocos ileus is called a scarlet worm. Do you know how that worm, how it operates? Are you ready? Because if you're not a Baptist, you probably are thinking to be Pentecostal. That scarlet worm, Brandon, what it does when it gets ready to have babies, it climbs up an oak tree and it fastens itself to a tree. The problem is the only way it can fasten itself to that tree, if it's removed, it dies. It physically will fasten itself to that oak tree and the babies start growing on the inside. It stays connected to that tree for three days. And on that third day, Do you know how those babies get food on the inside of that shell? They literally eat the body of the mother. On that third day, that scarlet worm emits a crimson spray. 
and it stains those babies. And with that last spray, that's her giving up her life. But what that red spray does to those babies, it dyes them. And for the rest of their life, they'll be that color because her mama gave up it. It gets better. On the third day, that shell turns white as snow and it begins to flake away. And they say when it flakes away, it looks like snow falling to the ground. Psalm chapter 22 and verse number 5. It is the psalm of the crucifixion. Do you know what Psalm chapter 22 and verse number 5 says? It is a prophetic line of the Lord Jesus. And he says in Psalm chapter 22 and verse number 5, I am a worm. I am a worm. Do you know what he's referring to? He's referring to the fact that he was going to give his life. Psalm chapter 22, let me make sure I quoted it right. Lest y'all think that I'm a heretic and making stuff up because you don't know me that well. Psalm chapter 22, verse number 6. So I'm sorry, Lord. It's not verse number 5. It's verse number 6. Look at what Psalm 22 says and verse number 6. He says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Do you know who that's a reference to? That's a reference to the Lord Jesus. Are you ready? Here's what you know. Psalm chapter 22, that is the psalm of the crucifixion. Psalm chapter 23, that is the psalm of the entombment of the Lord. What does Psalm chapter 22 and verse number 4 say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And Psalm chapter 24 is the psalm of the resurrection. What does Psalm chapter 24 start with? The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now here is what happened. Jesus was that scarlet worm. What did he do? He impaled himself into that cross. He stayed in that grave for three days. You and I, do you know how we find life? Jesus said, except ye eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you shall not have part with me in eternal life. But honey, on that third and glorious day, he changed colors. That which was dead was brought forth life everlasting. And now we which are sinful, we which are wicked, we which are vile, we which are we which are not approachable now in Christ. I am scarlet. I am sinful. I am crimson. But in Jesus Christ, I'm made as white as snow. The devil marches around our land and he's just waiting. He's just waiting for the shout. Destruction is coming to the land. Destruction is coming to our America. The devil marches around our families. And the people down the road, he's took them out. And the foundations are cracking. And the foundations are shaking. If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And he says, I'm coming for you. Can you imagine the little children in that house that day said, Mama, are we going to be okay? And she said, Baby, 
as long as that scarlet cord is connected to our house, we're going to be okay. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that day those walls started falling, that day those foundations started shaking, she felt that. She felt that earthquake. She felt the moving of those walls. Honey, she heard the cries and the screams of her neighbors that were going down into judgment, but she stayed safe behind that scarlet cord. And on that day, when the judgment finally came, she looked and she said, Thank God I had that scarlet cord connected to my family and connected to my life. But I tell you right now, judgment is coming. The foundations are being rattled. We're seeing mamas at school and we're seeing daddies at work. Talk about how the devil's got their babies. Talk about how the devil went and got their family. Talk about how the devil tore their church up. Talk about how the devil's taken apart another denomination. Talking about how the devil's wreaked havoc upon our nation and our land. But here we are. All we can do is stay behind the blood. All we can do is keep preaching the blood. All we can do is stay safe and secure and sound behind the blood we may feel the effects of the judgment we may hear the screams of others but if the blood has been applied we're safe and a Joshua heart knows the only protection I have is Jesus Christ can I ask you a question have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ Because judgment is coming. And the only salvation that you and I have is in Christ alone. Have you asked Him today to save you? I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. If you've never been saved, you're trusting in a false hope. Tyler, what do I do? In just a second, you'll see people get on this altar. You step out of your seat and come kneel upon this altar. And by faith in Christ, someone will take a copy of the Word of God and will show you how you can be born again. You say, but I heard a preacher down the road say such and such. I don't care what a preacher down the road said. I don't care what your mama said. I don't care what your daddy said. I don't care what your granny said. I don't care what the deacon said. I don't care what anybody said. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood. We'll lose all their gifts. Guilty, stained, brothers and sisters, Christ will save you. See, Joshua Hart knows who's protected. I ain't even going to keep on preaching. I'm going to say one more and go home. Number two, a Joshua Hart realizes not only who is protecting it, but a Joshua Hart perceives. A Joshua Hart is something that other people look at and realize something's different. I got a wild imagination. I really need to be on medication. I understand that, but I got a wild imagination. Can I ask you a question? Four-sided city and one red rope. Jericho's a barren land. The only way that they got food was to go outside the walls. And so every day they would walk out of the gate of Jericho and they would come back inside the gate of Jericho. And they looked at a red rope. I wonder what they thought every single day when they walked in and walked out. You know what they probably said? What's the deal with that red rope? Between the time that she hung that red cord out the window and the time that judgment finally came was probably several months. And every day, the red rope. 
I wonder how many people knocked on her door and said, hey, Rahab, what's the deal with that red rope? It was so different that people had to take notice of it. We live in an age where the church is so much like everybody else that not one person looks and says, Hey, what's the deal with that red rope on your heart? We look the same. We walk the same. We talk the same. We joke the same. We sing the same. We operate the same. We invest the same. We talk, we do everything just like everybody else. You know why? Because nobody wants anybody to see a red rope hanging outside their window. Can I ask you a question? Why'd you tuck away your red rope? What what are you ashamed of with your red rope? I'm afraid they're going to talk about me. They're already talking about you. I'm afraid if I hang that red rope, I'm going to have to give up some stuff. You're either going to give it up now or you're going to give it up when the walls fall. Brothers and sisters, Rahab said, I don't care who sees what I got. Don't matter to me. You ever thought about this? They already thought she was a harlot. How much worse can a red rope be? They already know you're a scoundrel. They already know you've lied. They already know you've cheated. They already know you stole. They already know everything about everything about everything. What's it going to hurt to let them know I met the man that gave me the red rope? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power. You know why there's no power? There's no red ropes hanging anymore. Ain't no red ropes. We got too smart, we took the red rope in. Our education, we pulled the red rope in. Our programs, we we pulled the red rope in. We want to get people in our church instead of getting people in heaven, we pulled the red rope in. We want our music to make them feel good, so we pulled the red rope in. We want our services to appeal to the mat. So we pulled the red rope in. And now the walls are shaking. And the foundations are crumbling. And people are looking for the red rope. Where's the red rope? I refuse to go down to my grave with my red rope in my pocket. When you go tomorrow and you see so-and-so, will you let your red rope shine? When you go down to the bank and put your... Will you let your red rope shine? When you finally go back to school whenever snowmageddon's over, will you let your red rope shine? Let's stand together, beloved. All over the house, let's stand together. Where are the people of God that would step out and say, God, let my red rope shine? God, let my red rope shine. God, let my heart be a beacon everywhere I go tomorrow. Son, I I talked to a banker this week on the phone about houses. 
And he, before he even talked to me about a house loan, you know what he said? Before I go any further, I need to ask you, where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? A banker. I, he said, I'm a man of faith. Where, where do you go to church? I said, I'm glad you asked. Can I ask you a question? What are you, why are you hiding your red robe? Let's bow our heads this morning.